are uh, in the book of John. We're talking about John this fall. We are in John 16 through 21. We will uh, finish uh, the book of John, which is amazing that we've been able to walk through this together. Uh, so I hope that you're reading along at the bottom of your notes every time I uh, give you an idea where we're going to be next time. We're going to do the entire chapter 17 next week. So uh, you might want to read ahead on that. So today we're in John 16. Uh, verses 16 through 33 as we finish this this book. Um, you know, as you think about what is happening in this time of this scripture, um, few of us maybe kind of really appreciate the misery that the disciples are about to experience. It's the last night with Jesus uh, when they um, see their master on the cross uh, in a terrible, agonizing place the next day, uh, apparently helpless and unable to, uh, to do anything, at least in their mind. The disciples will have been up all night, and they had no nourishment since the Last Supper. Uh, and so now there's this dizzying world, whirlwind of events uh, as they are getting ready to exit the upper room um, to walk out in Jerusalem across the Mount of Olives, have this vigil at Gethsemane, and the master repeatedly casting himself down in prayer, Peter's denials, curses, the trials that are coming, and this incredible experience. What misery they're about to experience. Uh, nor can we fully appreciate the transformation, the incredible joy described three days later when Jesus rose from the dead and the disciples learned that Jesus truly is alive. The scripture tells us they departed quickly, talking about the women, Mar Mary and Martha, um, departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. The word there, great joy, is, um, is like mega joy. Uh, it's got mega in the Greek word, so mega joy. Don't you like that word? Uh, that's, a, that's a new word, mega joy. Um, so we think about this. So, um, you know, can, can any of us kind of really realize the misery over against the joy uh, that was coming? Imagine the, the relief and the joyous celebration that they felt in those days. And the reality was that they were probably just pinching themselves, wondering if they could possibly even believe uh, what was happening. But it was exactly what Jesus had proclaimed would take place, that there would be victory and joy over sorrow. Victory and joy over against uh, sorrow. So, as, as we think about this, think that, realize that Jesus did not save us to live a joyless life. Uh, I mean, I am determined not to settle for a lack of joy in my life as a believer. How about you? Let's not settle for a lack of joy. Don't settle for it. It's not what Jesus saved you for. It's not what he made us for. So as we look at what he has to say in this section about joy, I hope you'll look at these as Jesus' words to you. Jesus' words to you. This is what can happen in my life. This is what can happen in your life, Jesus is saying, every day. In the days when things are going fantastic and great, and in the days when things are going rotten, 
there can still be a security of joy in Jesus Christ that you can't find anywhere else. Remember who Jesus is talking to. These are the last words Jesus is going to have uh, with his disciples before he's going to the cross. He's speaking to them about a kind of joy that can be faced even on a cross. He has that joy. And he says, I want my joy to be in you. He's facing a cross the next day and he knows it, but he says, I want my joy to be in you. He's, he wants them to have it. He, there's this incredible kind of joy that he wants us to have. Could, could, we, could we actually think and realize that? That there is a kind of joy that God wants you and I to have as believers. But if you're like me, the world sort of overwhelms us sometimes the stuff that happens, the situations that we deal with. Soon we start settling for less and less and less, right? Am I up here by myself, I guess? Okay. I see how you are. Today, as we look at the words of Jesus, I hope for all of us that we would be able to experience the kind of life-changing, real joy that the Lord offers to us. So, uh, which of these words would describe a typical Christian? Maybe yourself, you know. Um, words might describe us like worried, secure, uptight, none of y'all. Peaceful, pressured, burdened, stressed, or joyful. Uh, when I wrote those words, I thought... Boy, that is a mixture, isn't it? That is quite a mix. Is that the kind of joy that Jesus wants us to have? You know, I got joy, but I got worry too. I, I have peace, but I'm stressed. That really doesn't make sense, does it? Is that the kind of joy that Jesus wants us to have? And if not, how can I start to have that level of joy? You know, as Christians, I, I know some Christians that love Jesus but are very uptight. You know some people like that? Uh, you know, it's, it's an odd thing, isn't it, to, uh, to know that we, we kind of fall back on some old ways of dealing with stress uh, and problems around us. Um, you know, we recognize that some of those are the wrong steps or the wrong attitudes to have, um, but we don't have all the right things in place. So you can become and be a believer and still live sort of stressed out and filled with worry. I don't think that's Christ's intention for us. I think that's the reality that we see around us. But Jesus gives us a great sense of joy, really a secret to joy in these verses. That's an incredible secret. I could hardly sleep last night thinking about talking about this, uh, thinking about what we, that what we could talk about together. I'm in a, um, recognizing the, the kind of work and challenge that he offers to us. Jesus is talking to these disciples, and at the end of the conversation, they're headed out to the Garden of Gethsemane. So uh, from John 13, remember when we started talking about the, the, the Lord's Supper and he washed their feet and he talks to them about calmness in John 14 and about abiding in him in John 15 and now we're in 16. You know, I, I would say that these words, I don't know how long it took for sure, but maybe 30 or 45 minutes, right? 
I mean, you can read that pretty quickly. It wasn't a long time, but what happened with Jesus talking to these disciples in the upper room the night before he went to the cross changed their life forever. Could, could we be changed in 30 or 40 minutes? I think we could. I think God could speak to us and offer us something that helps us to see the shift that takes us from that mixture as a Christian life into a life-changing, real joy. So, the words of Jesus. They start in John 16, verse 16. Jesus went on to say, In a little while, you will see me no more. And then, after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and I, then after a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to my Father? They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. So you can tell, I mean, even read that scripture is confusing. And they're like, what in the world is he talking about? And what are they, they talking about? So I want to give you some um, requirements that he talks about here, three different requirements that we can see for real joy. I mean, real joy that he offers to us. So number one is let's understand God's process. Let's understand God's process. So how do, how do you get joy in your life? You know, is joy simply that my circumstances got better? or that somebody treated me nicely, or that I got a raise, then, yes, I have joy. That's not what Jesus is talking about. No, he, he's, he's talking about, I mean, notice what's happening in the scripture. There's confusion going on. It's going to be up and down because they don't know exactly what's happening, but what they don't fully understand is the process that God is using to bring joy into their life that God is going to bring some stress and confusion. He's going to help them understand this process of what he is doing within them. So his first step is that we deal with a sense of confusion. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not uh, delay. So that's, that's his encouragement to them, recognizing this confusion. They're asking questions. They're wondering what in the world is taking place. Um, one of the things I noticed is that part of the confusion came because they were talking to each other before they talked to Jesus. That'll get you in trouble every time. Not that we shouldn't talk to each other. We, we should, we as believers can offer support and encouragement to each other. But a lot of times if you're, if you just have mutual conversations with one another, it's kind of like being in Bible study and you're all expressing your idea, but you're not asking Jesus, what is his idea? We're not letting the scripture like speak uh, for itself because sometimes I feel like, you know, we can just kind of add our mutual ignorance about what the situation is, right? We can help each other. But we first have to talk to Jesus. It creates uh, confusion. Uh, the disciples were confused because they had to wait a little while. That ever confuse you? Sure it does. We get confused while we're waiting. Why isn't this being solved? Why isn't God working in this situation? Hebrews 10, 37 right there says, For in just a little while, he who is coming will come. He will not delay. Jesus is coming again. Jesus shows up. 
He shows up now and he's coming again to break into history. We don't, we don't always see what God is doing. We don't understand that, but we go through times of confusion. I mean, one of the reasons that God allows you and I to go through times of confusion is to build our faith by turning to him for answers. We get confused and he wants to build our faith by helping us to turn to God uh, for answers. I mean, if I always have the answers, I would never turn to God to find them, right? I would know what to do. So I'll turn to him. What's the answer? And the answer that Jesus gave his disciples was very interesting. He said, I'm going to offer you joy. There's going to be weeping. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be grieving. But he says in verse 19, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, listen to this, it's incredible. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Your grief will turn to joy. Will you say that out loud? Your grief will turn to joy. That's Jesus' example. That's his expression uh, to us. He tells us we, in step two, there's going to be confusion, but then we're going to struggle with grief. We're going to struggle with loss. I mean, if you want real joy in your life, it's going to be in the context of some loss. There's some things in your life, some things in my life, some things that we hang on to that don't bring us joy. Amen? Things that we have. And we get stuck without that joy. But Jesus says, I'm going to bring real joy into my life and there's going to be some loss of some things for that joy to take place. So what happens is that we live in a world that cannot give us real joy. Jesus is going to continually, hear me now, Jesus is going to continually bring situations and circumstances in your life to help you recognize that the world is not the source of joy. The world is not the source. My life isn't, in the, isn't going to receive joy in the world. Ultimately, our joy is in heaven, right? It's eternal. It's, it's one of the rewards of walking with him. Uh, he does that all the time. It's a, like a continual process of what, what does he want to do? In the midst of our grief to build our faith, we let God inject joy into our loss. Injecting joy into our loss. I love that picture. You know, grief can come in the form of sin in your life. But that can result in the joy of forgiveness. But it takes grief first. A grief can, over loneliness can result in joy in your fellowship with God or with other people around you. Grief that comes in facing the loss of something, maybe the loss of someone that you love, can be our deepest grief. But Jesus says that grief can result in the joy of recognizing the truth of heaven and seeing it as more real and more powerful than ever before. But grief, in Jesus' terms, 
is a part of the process toward joy. So confusion, grief, then step three. Step three is experiencing real transformation. Experiencing real transformation. We might call this like the uh, kind of resurrection transformation. Uh, so Jesus says um, that he, he said there, I'm telling you the truth, your grief will turn to joy. Uh, it's important to notice what he doesn't say. He didn't say your grief will be replaced by joy. This is what kept me up last night thinking about this. Not that my grief is replaced by joy. He said, your grief will turn to joy. It, it's, a, it's an incredible illustration as he, as he describes this. It's the, it's the idea that Psalm 30 verse 5 says, crying may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy comes, grief turns to joy. So joy comes not through substitution, but through transformation. Joy doesn't come through substituting something else in that spot. Joy comes through the transformation of who I am. Grief turns to joy. He comes and brings joy to us through, our, through change, not exchange. Do you believe what I'm talking about? Are you, are you receiving what I'm talking about today? He's not just talking about that I got something negative happening in my life. He's going to do something positive to kind of replace it for a little while and make me feel better. No, he turns grief into joy by transformation. And he brings about change in me. So this is a principle that will really turn your life completely upside down. I mean, if, you kind of, if you've been the kind of a person that kind of just moved from thing to thing to kind of find joy, maybe from job to job, to try to find some kind of happiness or some satisfaction in your life from relationship to relationship, and you just can't find it anywhere, I'm telling you that your joy will not come through changing circumstances. It comes through a change of heart. It comes through a change in me. That's the real joy that he is talking about. And so it's, it's part of God's process here. It's part of his process that there will be weeping, there will be mourning, there will be grief, but it will turn to joy. Tragedies aren't replaced by joy. They turn into joy. I mean, have, have you ever had that, that personal pain in your life and then God was able to bring about transformation in a way that you had never experienced before? That's what Jesus is talking about. So the way of substitution for solving problems is sort of, sort of an immature way of responding. The way of transformation is where your faith has grown and there's a maturity in your walk with God. We can't maturely, uh, we can't mature emotionally or spiritually if somebody else or something else is just always trying to replace our toys. You know, I know, I know some people that in their stresses, they just buy a new toy or go shopping or do something to try to fill that void or that, uh, that gap. Um, even, you know, guess who tries to, guess who tries to replace your toys when you get older and when you got enough cash to do it? That'd be us, right? Jesus says, I got a new kind of joy. I take the tough times that life throws at you 
Even things that Satan throws at you to destroy you, and I turn those things into joy. Paul picked up on this. He talked about resurrection transformation, Philippians 3.10. Paul is talking about the resurrection and how it was precious to him and how real it was. And he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. You see that? You see the resurrection joy and you see the sufferings together and those two things. Jesus turns the suffering, the grief into joy. He realized, Paul did, that the sufferings and the resurrection seeing what Jesus wanted to do. So the transformation process, the resurrection process is going to happen to you again and again and again in your life. It starts with confusion. What is God doing? There's some sense of grief and a loss. If God's going to change me, I got to get rid of some of the things that I'm struggling with, even things I don't want to lose. But, you know, when, when we lose things, many times we just get mad, right? We just get upset. We try to hold on to those things, and that's human nature. But God gently and kindly takes those things that are filled with sorrow in us, and he replaces them with joy. Jesus wants to give his resurrection transformation life into every area of your life. He wants to get that, inject that into your life. Sometimes we fight him. We fight against him. And I, I try to keep doing it. Sometimes I have this selfishness or I have my struggles with, the, with, with grief. Okay, we're going to illustrate it in a couple of different ways. The first way that he illustrates is in verse 21. Jesus says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take your joy away. Sometimes, now I know this is getting a little deep in here, right? Hang in here with me because I want you to see what in a, an incredible way God can demonstrate how he takes your grief and turns it into joy. So here's his example. Now, the 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 context here is that all of us deal with some kind of anguish. Uh, the promise is that Christ is going to bring joy uh, to us uh, in, in our life. So um, we can recognize uh, this joyful moment that God wants us to give. I knew about this pastor. This pastor had a, uh, as a few years ago, had a 12-year-old girl that, that died, a daughter that died. It was, it was devastating. Uh, I don't know how that feels. Maybe some of you even know what what's that's like. And so he is suffering. He is struggling. He, you know, he's a pastor. He ought to, you know, he felt like, well, I, I should be getting on top of it, but he just couldn't. And so um, one day he was he he lived close enough to walk to the church, and so he walked down this um, down a block or two. And as he's walking, it just got overwhelming to him. And he's just weeping and crying. And he, he, he tells the story of, of how he just leaned over on the lamppost. People are walking back and forth. He just leaned over on this post there on the street and just crying out to God. Why is this happening? He's in anguish. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit came to him and overwhelmed him with love and compassion and filled him with joy right in the midst of his heaviest grief. He said, all my life, I never experienced anything like that. 
He's talking about the real world joy that Jesus gives. It's not a fake kind of joy. It's not just putting on a face, not just putting on a front, but recognizing that God wants to work this out uh, in us. So Jesus used this example of the birth of a baby. Um, See, Jesus is not trying to just cover up your grief. He's not just taking a, 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 a covering and throwing it over the top of the grief and saying, you know, I know that's there, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be all right. I'll, everything's going to be okay. That is not what Jesus says. He describes it as the birth of a baby. Now, those of you that have had a child in this room, you probably know exactly what he's talking about, right? You ladies, you get it. He's talking about a painful delivery of a baby and the pain that was there, but because of the birth of that child, it was painful to deliver. But once you are, have that child in your arms, the joy that the baby brings overwhelms the pain that was just experienced. Is he telling the truth? Like, I didn't come up with this illustration. This is Jesus. And so he knows exactly what's happening. You know, the... Um, I was with all three of our babies. We three times. Uh, I was in there uh, one time. It was on Sunday morning, and I wasn't sure if I was going to church or what we were doing. Didn't know the baby was coming, so I'm dressed in a tie and all that. And these nurses are like, "What in the world are you doing here?" You know. So, uh, so we were there. All I know is that it was suffering for her. Like the first one was like 33 hours of labor, suffering. But I remember it just like it was yesterday. You know, we get this baby. This baby's crying, and they clean this baby up, and they walk over, and they put, and all she could do was laugh and cry at the same time. There was such joy. Both of us did over and over, three different times uh, that experience. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about this kind of joy. Uh, he says um, that you're going to experience this kind of transforming joy. Now, two things. Two things about this joy, genuine joy. How do you know for sure? Um, we, I mean, we all understand that if we're going to experience this joy in our life, he says, first of all, if it can be taken away, it isn't the joy he's talking about. If it can be taken away, Jesus says it right here. Nobody takes away your joy. If you can't, if it can be taken away, it's not his joy. If you've got... Um, if I've got my life invested in anything uh, or some, something else is trying to give me this sense of joy, it's not the genuine article that he's talking about. Secondly, uh, we recognize that true joy grows out of Jesus' presence in our life. That's where the real joy comes from. He says, I will see you again and you will rejoice. It grows out of Jesus' presence with us, his presence in the midst of our life. You know, there is a deeper place with Jesus than you've been. That's not a judgment against you. I mean, I've been walking with Jesus for a long time, but I'm telling you, there is more. There is more available to me in the depth of my relationship with Jesus. That's true for you too. Spending time with him, walking with him, learning more about him, uh, a deeper presence with him. That is where the joy uh, comes from in my relationship uh, with him. So he's talking about this, this process of joy that's exactly opposite for the world. 
than it is from the believer. So for the believer, he says, you're going to grieve, but your grief will turn to joy and no one will take it away from you. For the world, Jesus says, while you're grieving, they're going to be rejoicing temporarily, but that joy is going to turn to pain and that joy is going to turn to sorrow. I'd rather have Jesus process. How about you? I'd rather have permanent joy. He invites us to this place of joy. So verse 23, he says, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be what? Complete, he says. So we not only understand God's process, but we practice genuine prayer. Genuine prayer. It's pretty clear that he's talking about two different things here. One is that we ask. We ask in Jesus' name. So we ask him. We're not just asking for whatever we want. We ask according to his purpose and his power uh, in us. The best things I could ask for are the things that I know God wants to offer uh, to me. And then he says, receive. You ask and you receive. You ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. It doesn't say ask and it doesn't matter if God answers your prayer or not because you love him anyway and your joy will be made complete. No, it doesn't say that. It says, uh, like a lot of times I'll, I'll hear somebody pray like this. God, if you want to give me this, you can, but I don't really know if you want me to have it or not, so I'm not really sure what you want, but I'm not trying to put you on the spot, God. So just anything you want and it'll be fine with me. I mean, if you're going to pray like that, why pray, right? Ask and you receive. Here, here's, here's a little rule about prayer that I, that I like. I'm not going to ask God for things I don't expect him to give me anyway. I'm not asking God. He said, pray in Jesus' name, asking for things that I know fit in to what God is seeking to accomplish. I'm not asking him for crazy stuff. I'm asking for him for things that fit in to who he is, his character, and how he works uh, in, a, in our life. Uh, we see him uh, offering to help us to receive. Verse 25, he says, Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I no longer will use this kind of language. But I want to tell you plainly about my father. In that day, you'll ask in my name. I'm not saying that I'm going to ask the father on your behalf. No, the father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I come from God. I came from the father and entered the world and I'm leaving the world and going back to my father. You know what he's saying there? He's saying you will never have joy produced in prayer until you understand one thing, and that is you have direct access to God. You have direct access to God. Jesus says it's not like this go-between where you're asking me and I'm asking God and you and God never get together. Nope. He says the Father knows you. And you have direct access to God. You know, I meet people that, that struggle with, with this concept. Um, maybe they don't feel worthy to talk to God like that. Or they feel like if they get too close to the big guy, they might get some lightning bolts or something. That's not my language, that's theirs. Um, but they're scared. Sometimes pre people want to pray to Mary or pray to the saints. 
People many times do that because it's uncomfortable with this idea that you and I have direct access to God. So Jesus just says it very clearly, doesn't he? You have access to God. The Father himself loves you. Request the Father in my name. Request to the Father in my name. That's the way that you pray. Jesus taught us that, right? Our, our Father who art in heaven. It doesn't say Jesus or some other name or that we go through some theatrics. It just says, Father, our Father. We have direct access to God taught us by Jesus. You know, sometimes people say to me, well, pastor, if you just pray about this, see, the implication is that God is going to hear me before he's going to hear you. Wrong. Right? Oh, I want God to hear me. God has answered lots of prayers, but you need to spend enough time with Jesus in the presence of God and then know that you have direct access to the Father. He is seeking to bring you great joy. Verse 28, Jesus is talking about his coming and going, his farewell to his disciples. And here in this one verse, he says, I came from the Father and entered the world. I'm leaving the world and going back. His whole history is there. He, he's saying, I came into the world. That's the incarnation. He says, I'm leaving the world. That's the resurrection and ascension. And he says, I'm going back to the Father glorification. And then finally, he says, accept God's peace. How do you get the joy? You accept the peace of God. So which of these verses maybe is reflective of you? Job 3.26 says, I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Or the words of Jesus, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give you isn't fragile like the peace of the world that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. Jesus is not saying here uh, that, you know, you, he's wanting you to experience his peace. It's not peace that's the absence of trouble or the absence of problems. It's peace in the midst of the trouble, peace in the midst of the situation. Sometimes we find peace that feels like a two-week vacation or when things calm down a little bit. But the trouble is, it just comes back. It's that same worry and struggle and stress. Jesus says, here's a peace that will be in the midst of the trouble. It's not peace in our circumstances, but peace in him. Peace is available when you're talking to him, communing, communicating with him, taking your plans and putting them in his care. It's in him. Uh, I know you think there's peace is at the beach, but it's in him. I know you want to move somewhere else, but the peace is not in that place. The peace is in him. And then he says, not a peace of escape, but a peace of overcoming. How do you discover this kind of peace and joy? We listen to and act upon what Jesus has said. What Jesus said. All right, so what are we going to do? You know, he's talking about these sorrows that you have. Maybe you could think with me about what would you need Jesus to take as a place of sorrow and hurt in your life and turn it to joy? Here's, here's what I notice. I notice that we kind of 
treat our sorrows and our hurts and our struggles like a little pet. You know, it's in your life. Maybe, maybe you got hurt by somebody. Maybe something was said to you that has just really pierced your heart. Maybe you have some sorrow over a loss in your life. Maybe you got some, I'm pretty sure everybody in this room has some kind of grief or loss that has affected us. Would you disagree with me about that? So hasn't God been speaking to you about these things for a long time? Maybe it was what they did. Maybe it was what you did. Maybe it was how you think about things. Maybe it's just something that is so heavy on your heart. And so do you know that God wants to heal us of those griefs? And that this scripture says he wants to turn those into joy. I know that I prayed about some specific things in my life like a thousand times, right? You, you know that thing I'm talking about in your life? I mean, you prayed it over and over and over again, and it just seems like it just keeps coming up, right? Well, it's because all I did is just kind of, kind of covered it up. You know, I, it, it's sort of like I can't really get healed from that because, you know, that, that, that thing hurt me so bad. I kind of have to go back to it every now and then. You know, if I, if, I, if I get healed of that, maybe they're off the hook. If I get healed of that, maybe I won't remember them as well as I, as I used to. I kind of got to keep grieving. Are, are you with me right now? Am I here by myself? You know, you got that little place where you sort of just protect that little thing that you got going there. And so it comes up all the time. And it has an impact of affecting your thinking and your choices. And it definitely affects your joy. Because just when you start feeling like, I got joy, there's that thing again. And it might be more than one. It might be a closet full. Jesus says, I'll turn that grief into joy. That you won't have to. Now, I think he could do that in this room right now. In, in, in your bulletin, there's a, there's a little piece of paper. Uh, if you got one there, if you, didn't, if you don't have a little piece of paper, just find something with a piece of paper. It don't really matter. Uh, it's not a fancy piece of paper. It's just like a little piece of paper. So what I would love for you to do, here's what we're going to do. We are going to give God our griefs. That thing, or maybe multiple things that grieve your heart, that, are just, that just fill you with sorrow. That if you wasn't sitting in church, if you was at home, you might be crying about it. You might be crying in here about it. It's so hurtful that it's so deep that Jesus would call it grief. So what I want you to do is write that on that piece of paper. Now you can write it out. You can write one word. As far as I'm concerned, you need to put a big old X on there. You don't want nobody to know. But I, what, what is this thing that is, that feel, because you're a Christian. Most of you in this room are Christians, but yet you're still filled with worry. 
and stress and got all that mixture going on. That's not what he intended for you. He wanted you to be a person of joy. And maybe it's because of these things that you continue to carry. Do you believe what I'm telling you today? This is what Jesus said. So what I want you to walk out of here today with is the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. Not just, oh, that was a nice church service. I feel better. Because Monday, you're going to be back out in the same thing. We got to pray and ask God to take our biggest sorrows, our genuine griefs, and turn them in to the joy of the Lord. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer. I hope you'll hold on to those griefs there and you'll begin to tell God, I'm ready to let these go. So when you walk out of this room today, at the doorway, there's a trash can. Now I want you to, as strong as you can, throw that grief away. Give that, gr that grief. You know what I'm going to do with that stuff? I'm going to put it in the trash pile. It's going to be gone. They pick up the trash Tuesday. It'll, it'll be out of here. It'll be gone. And when you throw that into the trash can there, see, we're just symbolizing what Jesus is talking about. There's a card there that I want you to have, and it says, the joy of the Lord. So let's walk out of here with the joy of the Lord, not just happy that everything's fine, not just covering it up, but in my deepest place of grief, I have the joy of the Lord. Would you let Jesus give you that today? Jesus, this is, a, this is a monster sermon. I mean, this is an amazing, almost confusing conversation that you had with these guys. You're, you're talking to them about misery and hurt and all of their problems, and they were just like us. They, they, they had this whole mixture. But you wanted them and you want us to know the joy of the Lord. So, Lord, there's some people in this room that have been hurt, and they've been carrying that around for a long time. But today, we choose another way of thinking. Instead of holding on to those things, choosing to give those away to Christ. It doesn't mean they're going to be healed. It doesn't mean that the whole situation is going to be over. What it's going to mean is that I have changed Instead of continuing to pet this little thing, this, this big thing, this circumstance, this loss, this hurt in my life, I'm going to give that to Jesus. And you're going to take what was meant for evil and make it good and fill us with the joy of the Lord. Lord, we're not singing a song we're not doing a dance. We're not getting all emotional, excited. We're just deciding today that on this little piece of paper, this is my sorrow. This is my grief. I throw it away so that I can represent giving it back, giving it to God. And I walk out of this room with the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said together. Amen.